Church. Today's reading comes from Psalm 132. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have de desired it. <clears throat> I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamb for my anointed one. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you um, that you are a good God and that you love us and you love us perfectly right where we're at. Thank you that salvation is not a cooperative effort. Um, thank you, Lord, that you show us each day what it means to be more like you and what it means to grow um, in our faith and in our walk with you. Father, thank you for this church, for these people, and for this community, Lord. Thank you that this is a place where we can come and um, be loved and welcomed, Lord. That is, that is so meaningful and so special. Thank you for that. Father, um, we just thank you for your son, Jesus. Um, thank you that um, because of what you've done for us through him, um, our lives have meaning and everything we do has purpose because of Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you um, for your grace and for your mercy in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. All right, so um, Pastor Ryan is on sabbatical and uh, for the month of December and into the first week of January. Uh, he's here, and uh, so uh, he did not show up five minutes late like he was supposed to um, because that was the deal, and so you guys can give him a hard time um, afterwards and hold him to it. Um, and uh, so... Ryan, you better get out of here, like, before my sermon ends. I'm just joking. <laughs> it's a good idea, actually. Um, so, uh, hey, hey, thanks, uh, Ryan, seriously, for uh, um, leading us by example in what you're doing, um, by uh, making a priority to rest, um, really praying that this is a time for you uh, and your family, but also that God uses it um, to build this congregation, this church, uh, to serve this church well for years to come. So thank you for leading the way in that. Today we are uh, in Psalm 132, and the title of this is Obedience. And, um, and so because of that, uh, when we come to God's Word, um, 
It's important for us to submit ourselves to the authority of God's word, uh, to say that this is not just some good advice that we want to receive today and think about and mull over and think how maybe if it applies to us or not. Um, but God's word is alive and active in our authority. And so with that, if you would, just before we begin, um, just in a, a posture of um, submitting ourselves to God, um, maybe we just put our hands out like this and close our eyes, and I'm just going to pray. Lord, as David said, your King David, he said, search my heart. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thought. Rid me of anything that would not bring you glory. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, this is our prayer as we come today. Whatever you speak, O oh God, would you help us by your strength to walk in obedience. That we might be people that do not just hear, but we walk and we do. We don't just listen, but we receive and we take to heart what you're speaking. We believe you're speaking today. And so would you make it very clear to us, O oh Lord, to each of us individually and as a body of Christ. In your name, amen. Have you ever met someone who's uh, just neurotic in their faith? I mean, like, they're always doing or saying something crazy, right? I mean, like, it's uncomfortable to be around because you, you never know, like, what they're going to say, what they're going to do, if they're going to fly off the handle at some point. Um, they're going to put you in a situation where you're going to just feel like, oh, I can't believe they just said that, or I can't believe what they're doing right now. Or maybe it's not even someone you know personally. Maybe, or I know for sure, we see things online, um, pastors, preachers, churches that are just doing things, and you're like, what in the world? Where did they get that from? You know, um, so last year there was uh, the Union's um, Theological Seminary. It's a, in New York City. It's a really liberal um, theological seminary there. Um, they tweeted out, uh, there's a picture here. I think, Josh, if you could put it on there. They tweeted out that they were, were pray, praying to plants and um, said, today we, uh, we confessed to plants in chapel. Um, and we look at this and we're like, What? What are you talking about? What are you, you're praying to plants? Where did you even get that from? You know, it's like this um, extrapolation of, well, we have not taken care of God's creation. We haven't done really good things to God's creation. Maybe we should confess our sins to God's creation and how we've done wrong there. And, and, and it's just like this idea that, well, it sounds right, I guess, but it's not rooted in anything. It's not based in anything substantive, at least that what God has given us. And we can kind of laugh at this, but man, this is like, this is serious and grievous against God. Because God is saying, no, that is not how I've asked you to worship me, right? This is kind of an, an extreme, you know, version, but we can think of just different examples of this, and we see, and we're just like, man, where are they grounded? Are they grounded? It causes us to really just question people in, in what they believe, and do they even understand the Bible? Many of us, including myself, have a tendency to fear um, so greatly in somewhere in this spectrum being called, you know, radical or offensive or becoming one of those Christians. Like, we don't want to be categorized with this at all. 
Let me remove myself. But again, there's a spectrum here, and we can also see how this plays out with maybe more people that we would consider you know, radical with their faith and open with their faith. And so we instead opt to, see if this, if this is you or not, but we opt to play it safe. We play it safe with our Christianity. We instinctively, I think we are really good at seeking out health, healthy, balanced lives. Like this is something we're good at. Where does health and balance um, live? And that's where I want to be. But in doing so, we become just calculated and predictable. And frankly, kind of boring. Most Christians in the Western church um, would, you know, we go to church because it's a relatively safe and predictable environment. Kind of know what I'm getting into, right? We don't seek out in our own strength and just naturally, we don't seek out places that are going to put us in precarious situations. And we certainly stay clear of the, the mentally unstable people that claim to be Christians. We want to be safe. And as Eugene Peterson calls it in his book, um, The uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he says, good credit risks. Good credit risks. But it, is that what God has called us to be? Low risks for people? People that others can bet on because we're not going to cost them too much. Now hear me when I'm saying, I'm not saying that we should go out and offend people, right? That we should not like put ourselves in positions that we're just going to be stumbling blocks ourselves to the gospel. But when our motive is to be low risk, to be good credit risk, when this is our goal, even subconsciously, we only turn out to be dull and unattractive to a watching world around us. And worse yet, we can even lose our footing in the gospel. We may find we're not even standing where the gospel calls us to stand. In the words of Alexander Hamilton from the, um, there you go, from the, from the show Hamilton, have you guys seen it? He says, says to Aaron Burr, he says, if you stand for nothing, Burr, what do you fall for? What do we stand? If you stand for nothing, if you just always try to get the middle ground, what are you going to fall for? Where do we stand as Christians? Where's our obedience lie? The gospel calls us neither to neuroticism nor boorish, dull lives. The word of God calls us out of safety and into a beautifully adventurous life. And it finds its substance in something deep. It finds its substance, substance in something beyond us. This is what the gospel calls us to. It's a story, a scandalous story of grace. It's a story that we're entering into as we lead up to Christmas. God becoming man. And it's, this is a culmination of a redemptive story that began thousands of years before. And we stand here on the other side of the cross knowing this and seeing this. And this is the story that not only we're told, but we are called into. 
a scandalous story of grace. The Psalms of Ascent, um, they're journey songs. Many scholars believe that these were songs that were sung by the, the Jewish people on the way to the temple, on the way to worship. And they provided the Jews with this, a framework of how to worship. And it gave them the cadence and the rhythms of the activity within their worship. And it reminded them of whom they worshipped. They were liturgies, not unlike the liturgies and rituals we participate in today. They, they caused the people of God to look back and remember the deep, rich faith that they were walking in. The deep history of their faith. In one sense, Psalms of Ascent, when we read them, um, they keep our feet planted on the ground. They keep us rooted in something. Just like the people of God when they sung them. They keep their feet rooted. Okay, wh- where did I come from? Wh- who am I? Who is this God I serve? But in, this, but in another sense, it ensured that their feet never stayed planted. It caused them to look back only so that they would look forward to see where God is calling, to see how they must walk and they must obey God. John Calvin, he writes, true knowledge of God is born out of obedience. True knowledge of God is born out of obedience. Think about that for a sec. That means that to understand God It's not just transmittance. It's not just I come into a Sunday service or I come into community group or even I just open my Bible in order to understand God. Yes, of course, we must do these things, but it's not simply true obedience doesn't just happen by transmittance, by hearing something and receiving something and then, oh, I get it, I understand. Calvin is saying true obedience actually comes through obedience by actually walking and trusting God And following after God, then we understand God. I mean, that's pretty profound if you think about it because that is our life. That's the ritual of our life. When we have to walk through something, when we have to go through something, and the things that we know are actually put to the test. And then we say, do I actually believe this? And and God shows up in those moments, does he not? I'm sure some of you have incredible testimonies. I know some of them of how God has shown up in the midst of that. And you say, you know what? This is what I believe. Here's why I believe it. And God has shown you exactly who he is. He's proven himself to you. So the question I guess we have at this point probably is, well, what does obedience look like? If this is true, if John Calvin is right, that the knowledge of God is born out of obedience, and this is what we're talking about today, well, what does that look like? What does obedience look like? And so um, stealing from... Again, Eugene Peterson here um, in this language, he says, um, biblical obedience looks like the strength to stand and the willingness to leap. So those are two points this morning. Obedience is the strength to stand, willingness to leap. Um, So first point, obedience is the strength to stand. This is going to be in the first part of this passage here. This passage is really broken up into two parts. The first part is a prayer to God, and then the second part, verses um, 11 through 18, is God's response in a promise to Israel. So let's look at the very beginning of this in chapter uh, chapter 132, verse 1. 
Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So the the subject of this first part is David's, um, the context here is his preparation for the temple. David vowed that he was going to build the temple for the Lord, um, and God responded. It actually is really fascinating. Uh, you can go back and look at Second Samuel chapter 7, and God responds through the prophet Nathan. To, he says, go and tell my servant David, um, that have I ever asked to live in a house? <laughs> Did I ever ask for a temple? All the while we traveled, I traveled with the people of God, I went from tabernacle to tabernacle. Did I ever ask for a temple? And he says, you will not be the one to build a temple. It will be your son, Solomon, who actually does. And he says, moreover, I'm going to build you a home. I love that God says that to him. He's like, you think you're going to build me a home? No, I'm going to build you a house, okay? Um, And even yet... David still continues in this effort not to build it, but to prepare for the building. He stayed committed to his zeal to have, for the Lord to have a temple. If this is what the Lord was going to allow, then he was going to give it. A lot of this, a big portion of this, had to, uh, of this work was to get the Ark of the Covenant back to, um, to Jerusalem for the, uh, for the people to worship. The Ark was built... Um, by God's instruction, under the uh, oversight of Moses, and it was the symbol of God's presence. And the people of God would take the Ark of the Covenant, they would bring it to him wherever they traveled, wherever God led them. And um, it, it was a, basically a box with poles, and you're probably familiar with it. Um, it. It didn't contain God, like God couldn't be contained in a box, but it was a symbol of God's presence, and God voluntarily said that I'm going to place my presence here so that, I'm, so that you can meet with me. Okay, so it was an integral part for the people of God to be able to worship God. Um, but they were never to treat this thing as God itself, as if they worshipped it. In fact, things went terribly wrong for God's people when they did that. Um, and David made up his mind that he was going to make sure that this Ark of the Covenant gets back for the preparation of the temple. In doing so, he had a lot of struggle in that. There was a lot of things that went wrong for him. Um, and it, it wasn't just one instance. I mean, this is through his, whole, um, through his whole kingship. And so here's just some things like David, he didn't have an easy life. Here's some things. He, he was despised and criticized by his family growing up. He was placed in many life and death struggles. He lived many years as a fugitive, a wanted man. He had a family, home, friends, and career taken from him. He experienced a significant season of backsliding. He faced many enemies in battle through many wars. He was openly criticized by his wife. He suffered because of his own sin and scandal. And he endured conflict and problems because of his children, including one who staged a coup, which resulted in a civil war in his kingdom. David didn't have an, an easy life. And so when he's talking about, you see the struggles of David, Lord. See them, remember them. All the hardships he endured. But even still, the reason they're saying this is because God had chosen David and his bloodline as the one to whom God was going to bless Israel. 
He said, I'm going to establish a kingdom through you, David. I'm going to see to it that my covenant is made through your sons and their sons and their sons. And eventually, God would redeem Israel through Jesus and David's bloodline. He would turn all the suffering that Israel had experienced into joy. I'm going to steal from, um, from David, uh, not, not King David, but uh, David Lucas Kaplan, who uh, read the, the passage, and uh, he did the devotionals this week, and he says that um, God honors your pain. God honors your pain. That's kind of a, 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 a um, big thing to unpack, but basically, God doesn't let us just simply off the hook when we go through stuff, right? Often, God will allow us to walk through the pain, walk through the struggle, Walk through the suffering. He doesn't just simply say, well, oh, you, you didn't like that, I'm sorry. It won't, won't, we, that won't happen again. No, he takes the pain and the suffering that we go through and he redeems it. He brings our suffering and he makes it into joy. He turns it into joy. He redeems what we go through. The question really is, though, is will we seek him in the midst of the suffering? Will we seek him in the midst of what we go through? So the big decisions that you and I have to make, the chaos that surrounds us, the struggle that we see in the world today, the stress that we're under, really where the rubber meets the road here is are we going to seek God in the midst of those things? Jeremiah 29, 13 tells us, you will seek me and find me when you seek me, when you seek me, with your whole heart. You will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. David, King David, was a man after God's own heart. This is what God said about him. Why? I, I really believe it's because he sought after God's presence. I really believe it's because David was passionate about God's presence. He loved God's presence. He wanted God more than anything else. I mean, don't you see it in the beginning part here? All that he did. I will not sleep, Lord, until you have a place where you can be worshipped. I will not give slumber to my eyes. I will work hard for this. He was committed. In Psalm 63, listen to these words, just, just powerful Words he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Too often we don't have the same type of passion and zeal for God's presence, do we? who experience a thirst that's just like, man, I can't have anything else but you, God. There's moments. I know there's moments. But man, is this a continuous thing in our lives? Of course not. You know? I'm right there with you. I'm with you. I don't have a continual zeal for the Lord's presence. Man, I want it. I want to seek it. I want us to seek a church. 
remembered Calvin's um, words that true knowledge of God is born out of obedience. It doesn't come by transmittance. It is the practice of seeking him. It's not just on Sunday gatherings, but it's in our day-to-day. Whatever we're going through, are we passionate about saying, God, whatever is happening here, it doesn't matter. What's most important is that I experience you. What's most important is that I see you clearly. You ever think about um, how, how curious it is that Jesus had to learn obedience? So in, in Hebrews chapter 5, it says that through suffering, Jesus learned obedience. I mean, how is it that God himself had to learn anything, much less how to obey the, the, answer, the answer is that he was fully God, but he was also fully man, right? He was fully child. He was a child at one point. And any child needs to learn obedience through discipline. Any child. The difference is, you know, Jesus wasn't unlike that. He had to, he had to be corrected, I'm sure, at times. But the difference is, when he, when he was corrected, he never sinned. He was tempted in every way, but never sinned. He was shown what he needed to do, but then he fully honored his father and mother. He fully honored those around him. And as he grew and he became a man, he was still submitted to others around him and ultimately to his father, to the spirit. And he would learn as he walked through suffering as he walked through the challenges, as he walked through temptations, what it means to actually learn to obey God over and over again. Because he was tempted. And the Spirit actually led him to be tempted out in the desert. But it was in those moments as he pressed in to his Father in the presence of the Spirit that he overcame those temptations. I believe wholeheartedly that this is the This is how Jesus walked and completely fulfilled um, all the law. It was by him submitting himself to the Spirit of God. He walked by the Spirit. Galatians 5, uh, it uses these words. It says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is how Jesus overcame temptation. The phrase, walk by the Spirit, it implies both a direction and a empowerment. A day-to-day. Where do I go? Help me to get there. The word walk can also be used in, in terms of companionship, to follow after. You know, I'm saying all this to say because... I. I believe that a lot of times we can just think, again, maybe subconsciously or maybe, um, maybe there's some wrong understanding there, but we think that our, we can just overcome some of our sin, stru- sin struggles, right? That we can meet our sin, and, and if we work hard enough, then we can put our sin to death. Um, there, I, I searched, I scoured the internet for some good memes on this, and here's two. Um, one does not simply stop sinning. You guys know this great scene in Lord of the Rings? And he's like, one does not simply stop sinning. That's what I can imagine Baromir saying. And then 
um, office space. If you haven't seen that movie, good. But he said, yeah, so if I'm going to need you to stop sitting. Thanks, that'd be great, right? It's not that simple, but I think, again, this is lighthearted, but we can simply say, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to just stop doing it. Or there's that great, um, now nah, I won't go into it. It's not worth it. Um, ask me later. But the thing is that we, we need to stop focusing on saying, if I just stop doing this, right? I just want to be obedient to God. So if I just, if I just focus hard on stopping this, um, maybe it's lying, right? If I, if I just could stop lying, I'm just going to stop lying. If I, I'm going to try really hard today, I'm not going to lie. God, help me not to lie today. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. What is that filled with? One, me, what I'm doing. And then two, uh, we're focusing on the very thing we're trying to stop, <laughs> lying. I just need to work hard at not lying today. Okay, just make sure you don't lie today. And all we're doing is just focusing on the thing we're trying to stop doing. Here's what we need to do. We need to focus all our attention, all our desires, all our affections on Jesus. Focus on Jesus and what Jesus has done. Go after him in his presence and walking by his spirit and let the spirit of God guide you and empower you to be obedient in the process. The spirit of God is among us. It is, he is within us. He is leading and speaking to us. And he's saying, stop focusing on you. Listen to me. Will you come to me and I will give you direction and I will give you empowerment. Jesus said that he's going to send the helper and he's going to remind you of everything that I've taught you. This is his job. This is what he loves to do. He's not begrudgingly trying to lead you. He's passionately and consistently and persistently leading you. And he's speaking to you. Are you listening? Are you saying, Lord, speak to me that I might know your will today? Focusing on what God wants us to do apart from focusing on God himself will not lead you to God. Say that again. You focus on what God wants you to do. Apart from focusing on God himself, it will not lead you to God. It will only lead you to yourself. And yourself is only going to either build you up in pride or it's going to crush you. Because there's going to be moments where you're going to feel like, I did it. I accomplished what I said I was going to do. And and you're going to feel really good about it. And you're not going to be led to God. You'll be led to yourself. Or you'll be crushed because you can't do it. And you'll be humiliated. And it will not lead you to God. It will only lead you to despair. When we, when we say we want to be obedient to God, it means that we root ourselves in what Jesus has already done for us. And we say, Jesus, you accomplish everything for me. It's done. The battle has been won, and now I get to walk in victory. Would you show me today how to do that? Not to believe that I'm man enough, or I'm woman enough, or I'm strong enough to be able to accomplish this, but Lord, that you are big enough and you're strong enough, and it's done. And I get to walk in freedom. I get to walk in the freedom of that. The point of the Psalms of Ascent is, to be, uh, is that we would be reminded that whatever we walk through, um, we don't do it on our own. God's people didn't do it on our own. They had a heritage of waiting and longing and joy and suffering and perseverance through what they went through. There's this great quote by, uh, again, Eugene Peterson. He says it so well. He says, uh, Christians, can you guys see that? Kind of. 
Christians tramp well-worn paths. Obedience has a history. A Christian who has David in his bones, Jeremiah in his bloodstream, Paul in his fingertips, and Christ in his heart will know how much and how little value to put on his own momentary feelings of the experience of the past week. See, the people of God, had, they knew their heritage. They knew where they came from. And they knew that God was still calling them and still leading them. Quick heart check. Do you, do you make decisions in your day-to-day life based on your personal history or biblical history? You know, we, we, we can all point to things in our life where, um, hopefully, where we've seen God move. And we should. We should look back and say, yes, I've seen you do it there. I know you're going to do it again, Lord. But when there are times where we feel like God fails to show up, we also experience a temptation to dismiss, well, was that even real before? There's got to be something deeper than just our personal history. And God's given it to us. He's given us 2,000 years of history that a church has walked through that we can look back and we can see and we can read about and we can plan ourselves deeply in. In verse 6 here, he says, Behold, we heard of it in um, Ephrathah. It is referring to the Ark of the Covenant. And um, in Ephrathah um, was the place where David lived. In modern day, it's, it's understood to be modern day Bethlehem. And we know that Bethlehem was where Jesus was born, right? Where God heralded his great, his great gospel and he said, I'm coming to be with you. Where we see that God went to unimaginable links in order to be with his people. Like the ark being found in the fields of Jar. So Christ was in an abject state. We know that he was cast off. He was a man of sorrows. He was despised. He was rejected. Like the Israelites looking back to their heritage, we have this heritage to look at ourselves. And we've been grafted into this beautiful story. We do not need to wonder where our help stand, where our help to stand comes from. It comes from the Lord. Point number two: obedience means the willingness to leap. I'll be faster on this point, I promise. Obedience means the willingness to leap. The Bible does not simply call us to be men and women who just can stand strong. It calls us to activity, to progress, to wild and radical lives, unrestrained from the fear of this world and unleashed into the kingdom of darkness that pervades this world. Read with me in verse 7 these words in response to the, to what God, to the people of God remembering. They say, let us go. Let us go to his dwelling place now. Let us worship at his footstool. Verse 8, arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy for the sake of your servant David. Do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Think about David and all the suffering that he went through and, 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 and what he did to, um, to be able to put God's service first. He put his own comfort second. I really, really believe that as, um, well, first of all, that the people of God were rehearsing this because they needed to remember that 
hey, David put himself, his comfort second. I too need to walk in that same manner. And, and I believe that today, that the gospel calls us to, not, uh, to uncomfortability. It calls us to uncomfortability. And again, that's not a natural thing for us to, to walk into, right? The reason that we can walk into uncomfortability is because we know what we get is better. We know what's beyond that is better. Some of us are so, so scared of being uncomfortable. Like my, my friend Ryan uh, Armstrong, he says, he says get, comfortable being, uh, get comfortable being uncomfortable. This is our place. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, are we, are we, are we going to be so scared of being uncomfortable that we're not going to press into the racial issues that are in our country? Are we not going to press into the political issues that we all deal with and, and have within, even within this room? Are we not going to press into some of the, the social economic things that we need to deal with? Are we not going to press into the, the, the hurt that's out there and be able to invite people into our lives to experience us and us be able to experience their lives Are we going to be so scared of being uncomfortable that we will neglect these things that God has called us to? We need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And here's the reason, guys, is because what we get is better. If we chase after comfort, that's it. You might get comfort, but that's where it ends. And God is promising so much better, something so much grander for us. If you notice here in the prayer that the Israelites prayed in verses 8 through 10, the response of God is a response of greater form. He says, yeah, I'll give you that and so much more. Read with me here. He says in verse 11, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. Keep going, verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. If you hadn't caught on yet, this passage screams Jesus. It just screams our Savior all throughout it. Jesus is the true anointed one. He is the better head of God's people. Everything is grander, bigger, broader, more true, more effective, more consequential under the new covenant in Christ. And this is what God is pointing to. He said, I will do this, yes, but forevermore. Not just as you ask me, as you on your way up to worship to me, but forevermore I am going to complete a better work than you can even imagine. As much as David suffered, Jesus suffered more. Despite David's zeal, he would not be the one to build a temple. But guess what? It's Jesus' zeal for you and for I, for me, that was enough to accomplish what he set out to do. He did it completely. And Jesus didn't just bring us to the temple. He brought the temple to us. He set up camp in our hearts. And Spurgeon says, this is the end of our fears for the church of God. For if the Lord dwell in her, she shall not be moved. 
If the Lord desire her, the devil cannot destroy her. So what does this mean for us? If this is true, if the Lord has desired to set up camp and to dwell among his people forevermore, which he has, then does that change anything for us? And I believe it does. It means that we can do this. We can journey with an expectant hope. We can journey in this life. We can, we can live out in obedience by leaping willingly and journey expectantly. We can journey because what is behind us, it only pushes us forward. We can be expectant because what is behind us only reminds us of what is ahead of us. And we can, with hope, do this because what is ahead of us is greater than what is behind us. Do you believe that? Man, what's ahead of you is greater than what's behind you. That Jesus isn't withholding anything from you. And as we walk in obedience to him, as we trust him, as we follow him, that he's going to open the kingdom of God to you. And you may experience glimpses of that here, but now, but man, we follow him all the way until his return, all the way until he calls us home, and he has promised eternity with us. He has a promise that he will be with us forever. Is this startling to you? Does it startle you? I know, I know again, it's easy, man, to, to come in and... and, and we come in a space and we're like, okay, just I say what you need to say. And uh, I, got, I got lunch plans afterwards. I, I've been there too. And so if that's you today, I'm not trying to bring condemnation. I'm just saying like it's easy for us to, you know, it's like, okay, I got church now. And then I got this afterwards. And then I got, you know, I plan it. But, but does the gospel startle us? Does it awaken in us something that causes us to say, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to move. I'm going to move forward. There's the fact that God desires you, church. He desires you enough to give his own son for you. Does that awaken you to live adventurously and without fear? I watched this movie this, this past week. Um, it's called The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind on Netflix. You guys seen it? No? It, you kind of got to dig for it. It's not really popular. But my wife fell asleep in it. Um, yeah, and, uh, but it's a good movie, so don't let that, don't let that sway you. Um, and it's about this boy, it's a true story, based on a true story of this boy in Nigeria who um, he, uh, he harnesses energy in order to uh, um, basically make a pump run in order to pull out water from the ground in order to water their crops. They were in a huge famine, this season of hunger, and the people uh, didn't have anything to eat. And the government... Um, was, wasn't helping. And, uh, and so this boy, I think he was 12 or 13 years old, um, he, he knew how to tinker with stuff and he found this book in a library and he figures this out and he builds this windmill and he creates this energy, right? But in the middle of this, there's a scene where the boy's sister and his mother um, have this confrontation. And the mother... Uh, and the si- or the sister runs out of the house. She's angry at the father because of something he did, and she believes that he put the family in a position that would jeopardize their safety. And and, that, and, and the wife, uh, the mother, walks out there and and she confronts her daughter on this, and she's yelling and and and, um, and the mother actually slaps the daughter um, and, and startles her, and then she says this super powerful these words to her. She says, do you think 
I will let you starve to death? She said, when I cut off my arm and feed you, you'll know that you are mine. Why are you questioning? Why are you doubting? Do you not know you're my child? What causes you such fear? And I just, I started weeping at that moment. Again, David Lucas Kaplan, he writes, Heal God will pay any cost to be with us. He already has Jesus. It's already done. He already paid the ultimate cost. What causes you to question? He who did not spare his own son, but gave up his own life for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How? Verse 15. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will, sh- with shouts, will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I, will pre- I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. May we see Jesus in this. May we see Jesus as the one who's lifted up. That all enemies of Jesus will run in shame. But Jesus, his victory is forever. His crown is forever. The God that we serve, he's not nice, he's not safe. His grace is piercing to the sinner's heart. His jealousy is confounding to the rebel. His love is that of reckless abandonment and it is unequal in any earthly form. This is the God we serve. So in response today, as the band comes, to know God is to be known by God. To know him is to be known by him. Christmas is not about a nativity scene. It is not about shepherds in a manger. Christmas is about a radical love of God to bring his people back to him so that we would know him. He does not ask you to meet him halfway. I love David's prayer, David Kaplan, his prayer in the beginning where he said, thank you, God, that salvation is not cooperative. God doesn't ask you to meet him halfway. He's gone full board. He's gone all the way for you. Will you receive it? He's gone all the way for you so that you can know him. Those who are far from him today online are here. God says that through the prophet Isaiah, come everyone who thirsts and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast love is sure love for David. And then Jesus, almost in echoing this, he says in John 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Those who seek to follow him today, our response to him should be nothing short of the author of Hebrews' response when he says, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. As we transition to communion, the way we're going to do this um, is we have two tables on both sides here, and you can feel free to go as the band plays um, when you're ready. 
Um, we just ask that you are doing this in a manner because you want to profess that you trust in Jesus. Uh, we don't want there to be anything disingenuous here. Um, this is the table of the Lord prepared by Jesus himself for his people. And so if you're saying today for the first time or for the thousandth time today, I trust you, Jesus. I am yours. You made everything possible so that I could be yours. Then come to the table. Come and respond to Jesus by saying, you're enough. His body broken for you. His blood shed for you. May we as the people of God respond in such a way that would say, Lord, with my activity, with what I do, I respond to you. Not just what I say, but what I do. Knowing what he has done for you, the lengths he has gone to have you. Will you walk in obedience to his call in your life, leaning on his strength to stand and his courage to leap in this life? If you need prayer for anything, um, I will be in the back and I'm happy to pray with you and for you. But let's, uh, when you're ready, stand, take communion, and then Bobby and Danny are gonna lead us in worship.